here we are, Revelation chapter 4, and we are going to go to heaven as we enter in through the door of heaven. So we were with the, the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, and that's what was going on in the present in the church age. And, and there we, we learned about Satan's throne, and, and we were told that we need to repent and persevere and hang on and be overcomers. And, and now we're going to see why, because you do these things, woohoo! You are going to enter into the throne of heaven through the door of heaven. So we begin in chapter 4, book of Revelation, verse 1. After these things, John writes, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Let's stop here for a few minutes because that is crazy. What is going on here? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 1. John said, what? After these things. So we looked at after these things, after the church age. We looked at the rapture of the church in the last message. If you missed it, you can go back and check out the last message. But after these things, what happens? John says, I saw a door standing open in heaven. You're thinking, this is like drama. I looked, and there was a door. So let's look at this with some questions and answers to get the answers we need. What is this door in heaven referring to? Uh, this is storytelling at its highest level. It draws us into the next stage of the book with the vision of something that we've wanted to see from the beginning. I want to get a glimpse into heaven. You ask people, I want to know if heaven is real. Could I get a glimpse at heaven? The Bible tells us more about heaven than, than, uh, uh, than we can possibly even begin to understand with our imaginations. But man, when you read about heaven in the Bible, which we're going to read a little bit about it tonight, it really makes, makes your mind begin to expand. And so we see this door, and immediately there's a door standing open in heaven. I want to see what's on the other side. John wanted to see what's on the other side. If you stop here, verse 1, it's like a cliffhanger. You remember cliffhangers? I remember the cliffhangers back when I was a young man. Actually, I was just a boy. 1960s. Ever talk, talk about the 1960s before? <laughs> I used to watch Get Smart. Remember Get Smart? Maxwell Smart. It was one episode, but all split into two parts. And in part one... Maxwell and Agent 99, his fiance, one of them was always about ready to be snuffed out by, by chaos. Remember that? And you get down to the end of episode, uh, of part one of that episode, and they're just about ready to be dead, and all of a sudden, to be continued. Oh, I got to see what happens to Maxwell in 99. I love her so much. But I was only a boy. I was just like 10. 
the, the cliffhangers, right? And, and, and so John's doing that here. What's he see? He says, I saw this door standing in heaven. Wow. I got to see what's behind the door. I want to see what is coming next. And I'm going to tell you, it is going to be awesome. The wonders beyond the door will exceed our imaginations until that day when we actually get to go there and see what John is talking about through not just chapter 4 and chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. You get towards the end of the book of Revelation and you start seeing what's in heaven and the new Jerusalem and the new heavens. Wow, the new earth. It's pretty cool. John's vision beyond the door is breathtaking. It's so big, you almost can't take it in. And the more you look at it, the greater and the more grand it becomes. So John wants to see what's behind that door. So number two, what happens when he goes beyond that door? Look at this again. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Behold, the the, the, and the first voice I heard was like a trumpet speaking, come up here. I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, note this, verse 2, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one who sat on the throne. So this is rapture-like. This, In fact, I believe this leads us into the teaching of the understanding that the rapture has taken place. This is very rapture-like. What do you have here? You have the sound, the voice he hears. Verse 1 is like a trumpet, like the sound of the trumpet at the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ, or the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So we have the sound. We also have the speech. The voice says, come up here. Like the voice at the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice, the speech of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And the suddenness, and the, su the suddenness in this transition for John is just like what we would consider the suddenness of the transition at the rapture. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, among other things, the sudden transition illustrates heaven's proximity. When we die, there is a sudden transition into the presence of the Lord waiting for the resurrection of our body. When you take your last breath on earth, man, you are taking your last breath in... Uh, you're taking... Oops. You're taking your first breath in heaven. I knew something was wrong with my, my, my doctrine there. But John, he said at the end of verse 1, I will show you what must take place after this. After the church age, after the rapture, let me show you what's coming. We are going, chapters 4 and 5, we're going into heaven. And then after we see that, I will show you what must take place after this. Chapter 6 begins the tribulation, and it is ugly. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, the great earthquakes, the the asteroids and meteorites that start plummeting the earth and then the beginning of the reign of the antichrist but notice the angel tells john i will show you what must take place listen if god says it must take place then it must take place and it will take 
place. Uh, consider this. Isaiah chapter 46. God says this. Isaiah 46 verse 8. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O oh, you transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. I am going to tell you from the beginning how it is all going to end. My counsel will stand. If I said I will do it, I will do it. And here in Revelation chapter 4, the angel saying, John, I'm going to show you what must take place. If you are a believer, you'll be translated into heaven and you are going to see the glory of God. And if you are not, you are going to go through the tribulation on this earth. And then John writes here, verse 2, immediately I was in the Spirit. So his body is not taken into heaven. This is a spiritual experience. And after John goes beyond the door, he says, Behold, I saw a throne set in heaven, and one sat, and the one who sat on the throne. The term throne is a key theme throughout chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. In fact, in 11 verses, throne appears, uh, excuse me, it appears 12 times in the 11 verses. In verse 2, we have the place of the throne. Verse 3, the person on the throne. Verse 4, the people around the throne. Verse 5, the power from the throne. Verses 6 through 8, the protectors of the throne. Verses 8 through 11, the praise that is before the throne. So moving on from that, this is about the throne and what John sees, and it's pretty cool. So number three, what's the next question? Who is on the throne? Is this Jesus? No, this is not Jesus. Jesus does have a throne. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21 says, To him who overcomes, Jesus said, I will grant him, grant to him to sit with me on my throne. But we know that this isn't the throne of Jesus because in chapter 5 verse 6, the Lamb, Jesus himself, approaches this throne. We also know it's not the Holy Spirit because although the Holy Spirit is here in chapter 4, it is not the Holy Spirit on this throne. So who's on this throne? If it's not Jesus, if it's not the Holy Spirit? Ah, it is God the Father. And it is a real throne. John saw the th literal throne of God. Thrones represent sovereignty and power and authority. In Psalm 103, verse 19, the Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord. Politics will be gone. Amen. Number four. What does John see when he looks at the Lord? He sees the Lord as he wraps himself in light. I, I, I love this. And he, verse 3, who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So uh, I see this like a jasper. What's jasper? Jasper is an opaque stone. Uh, stone. It can be red or yellow or brown or green or even in rare cases it can be blue. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 11, 
The Bible describes a special kind of jasper, and it says, jasper stone, clear as crystal. I like that. This is pretty cool. Jasper stone. And John is looking at the throne. Also in Revelation chapter 21, where John is describing the new Jerusalem, he says, I saw the streets of gold, and the streets of gold but were, were incredible. It was gold that was transparent like glass. You could see through this gold. Would that be some cool gold to have? You start looking at the, 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 the contrast that God gives us for what's in heaven and what we have here on earth. And sometimes on earth we think, oh, this is so awesome. And the Lord says, you don't know. Oh, wait. I'm just trying to get you to get a glimpse of what's here. In, in the Star Trek IV movie, The Voyage Home, there was transparent aluminum. Compared to the transparent gold and the throne of God, transparent aluminum just sounds a little bit blah. But anyways, that's Hollywood. I'm much more interested in this than that transparent aluminum. Oh, what else? Uh, there's the Sardis stone, which is a rich red color. In the King James Version, it's called the Sardine Stone. Sounds kind of hideous. How many of you have a King James Version? You're looking at it right now. See, it's the Sardine Stone there. Um, it's just, I mean, a Sardine Stone? That doesn't, I remember uh, going to a store when generic food, remember the generic labels? They were everywhere for a while. That wasn't in the 60s. That was like in the 80s or something like that, I think. And the generic food. So I was, you know, I was uh, a bachelor, and you have roommates, and uh, you don't really have any money. And uh, But I thought I'm going to go buy some tuna. So uh, I go to the store, and I think, well, here's this yellow brand generic tuna. Everything was generic. It was at Gemco. Remember that store, Gemco, many years ago? That's where I was. And I go there into their grocery section, and... Uh, I buy the generic tuna in the yellow wrapped cans and I bring it home and I opened it up. It was hideous. It was so gross. Listen, when you look at your King James Bible, this is sardine stone. That's not what it's referring to. All right. So, so just, just understand that it refers to a beautiful stone that's extremely uh, rich and red in color. It's, it's a ruby like what else do you have you have the emerald rainbow around the throne with brilliant shades of green wow you think a rainbow that's just all green brilliant shades of green uh, you, you look at this and you think well there's a, a cool looking rainbow and and uh, the, the green is standing out there and that might even be a fake rainbow uh, but then you look at this and you think well that's that's aurora borealis or whatever it's called and, you look at that and you think, now that is cool. And then if you get outside of Southern California, for all you who are watching video, you're probably not here, but it's brown out here. And uh, but you get outside of our area and you go to where it rains a lot and you see all the different shades of green, you think, man, I want to move here. The, the Everything is green and the sky is blue. But I'm going to warn you, if you stay there enough, there's a reason why everything is green because it rains a lot. In the summer, it gets warm, and the bugs get big. I like, I like living where there's no bugs. That's just me. But, I mean, can we imagine the, this, this throne of God in this brilliant shades of green? Uh, I, I think of the rainbow that's described here. Revelation has many connections to the book of Genesis. In Genesis, we learn that the rainbow is a message of God's 
grace and peace, and that's important. Because as you go through the book of Revelation, you need to remember, as First John tells us, that God is love. And when you start going through the book of Revelation, you start seeing these judgments that are coming upon the world. You're thinking, God isn't so full of love, but He actually is. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He has this, the, the rainbow was a covenant with man, and God has an even greater covenant, and it's the covenant that He made with the Son, that whosoever believes in Him won't perish but have everlasting life. God is so loving. He's a just God, so He has to judge sin. But He's so loving that He judged His own Son for your sin if you can re- receive Him. And it's that covenant of peace. Um, when someone doesn't know the Lord, you know what they lack more than anything else? Peace. They lack peace. There's something inside and they know it's missing. Something is not right. And to uh, imagine you enter into the covenant of God's grace with the Son... And suddenly, you know it if you've done it. You know it. What you have is a peace that you can't explain. And you go, man, this is, this is good. This is sweet. Man, I need this. Verse 4, again, says, Around the throne were 24 elders, and, and on the thrones I saw... Uh, were, were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. So that leads us to the next question. Number five, who are these elders? Well, I, I'm going to give you a few possibilities. Let me tell you right now. Bible scholars like to argue about who these 24 elders are. Uh, my friend Don Stewart, he has an idea of who the 24 elders are, so I'm going to take Don's approach. But before I show you what that is, I'm going to show you just what a few of the arguments are about who the 24 elders are. Some think they are 24 angels. Some think they represent the raptured church. Some think they are the twelve sons of Jacob and the twelve apostles. Um, and now each of these have pretty lengthy explanations as to why they believe it's one of those three. And uh, they're interesting. Um, personally, this is me. Um, I, I'm going to take Don Stewart's approach on this, where Don says that the elders are heavenly beings, but not angels. And then he said, most likely anyway. I love that. It was in this text message. We were going back and forth with James Cadiz and Barry Stagner and Don and me, and I'm reading it. And uh, James had thrown out the question, and this was just a couple of weeks ago, and I said, uh, and then Don was the first one to respond, so I just said, I agree with Don. Whenever I don't know something, I just agree with Don. <laughs> but I like that. And he concluded with, most likely anyway. I look at this, and this much I know, man, it, it's not worth it. There's a few things in the book of Revelation, we're going to see a couple more in a minute, that you can't be 100% sure on. I mean, you think you can be. It's not that big of a deal. I am not going to get... I am, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> This is what happens when you talk too much. You talk too much, oh boy, you never shut up. Something like that. That's a song from years ago. (laughs) Why does this stuff pop in my head in front of all you people? So, where was I? Oh, so when I get to heaven, and the door's in heaven, and and I want to go into heaven, Jesus isn't going to say, well, can you tell me who the 24 elders are? 
Because if you don't tell me, you can't get in. It's not going to be that way. I trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And quite frankly, there's arguments on this subject. And so I'm just going to move on uh, on from uh, here and read verse 5. And realize there's some things that are really necessary to know. And some things that are fun to know. And some things that are really intriguing to know. And some things that will cause you to talk a lot with your friends and argue. Verse 5. From the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Wow. This is interesting. This is some high drama, and it's very similar to what uh, Moses wrote regarding the Mount Sinai uh, presence of the Lord way back in the book of Exodus. Look at this. Book of Exodus chapter 19. And then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings. That's what we just read about here, right? And a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people were in, uh, who were in the camp, they trembled. I think this is so cool. Now this is how I think. So this is what the Israelites were experiencing when they're in the wilderness, Mount Sinai, and you think of the burning bush and the Ten Commandments and all of that, the thunderings and the lightnings. And sometimes I have a lot of Jewish friends, and uh, sometimes I get kind of jealous of my Jewish friends because there's just certain cool things in the Bible that are just so Jewish. Well, there's a lot in the Bible that's so Jewish, but in fact, the whole thing's Jewish. But nevertheless, I, I... I, I look at this and I think, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to see this in heaven around the throne room of the Lord. And, and, and uh, man, that's awesomeness. That's spectacular. But notice here in the verses that we just read, John saw also, along with the thunderings and the lightnings, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Well, that leads us to the next question, doesn't it? Number six, what are the seven spirits of God? Um, That is another really good question. So we discussed a little bit about the seven spirits of God in chapters one and two. Didn't get into it very much. The subject's going to come up again in in chapter five. But one possibility of this is this of the seven spirits of God. The Bible, and especially the book of Revelation, uses the number seven to refer to perfection and completion. So if that is the meaning of the seven spirits of God, then it's not referring to seven different spirits of God, but the completeness of God. The number seven being perfection, the number seven being complete. Also, here's another possibility. This could refer to the sevenfold characteristics of the spirit of God. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So that's one. Uh, The spirit of wisdom and understanding, two, three. The spirit of counsel and might, four, five. The spirit of knowledge and of fear, six and seven. Uh, The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. So some say that's uh, what this is referring to. Um, I'd like to just make this real simple, and, and it may be referring to that, But I look and I think, okay, the the number seven is the number of completion. It makes sense to me that God is just telling us that God is complete. Because if you add to the characteristics of God, you realize there's more than that. God is love. 
And you start going down the list, and you are going to have a whole lot of them that apply to God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. But I look at this, and I think, here's, here's the problem, all right? I've said this before in the book of Revelation. It applies here. It applies in Revelation chapter 12. It applies throughout the book of Revelation. If you get weird on this book, what happens? It's going to get weird on you, right? So you start realizing, well, wait a minute. God, he, he wants us to have a sound mind. And you start looking at it, and instead of, there are, there are really bad doctrines that are taught. There's doctrines out there that say, this teaches that there's seven different gods. And those, those things are out there. That's not what the Bible is teaching. So, but when you start to say, well, it's got to have a hidden meaning in here. It's got to be something, uh, and, and people start taking this. They start taking Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 13, and all these things to mean something that the Bible doesn't say. Cults start that way. So I look at this and I say, I'm going to keep it practical and to the point, and this is what I can know. And if you keep it simple, it'll make sense. If you start seeing this, saying it's got to be more complicated than that, You'll, you'll, you'll get all messed up. Verse 6. Before the throne there was a sea of glass. Like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures. Look at these creatures. Full of eyes in front and back. Ooh, that is a weird looking creature. And they get weirder. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around and within. These are interesting looking creatures. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I look at this, and, and to me, <clears throat> this is pretty cool. Let me address this question first. We have just a few more, uh, a few more questions. Uh, number seven is, what is the crystal sea? I am not real sure, but I do know this. This is another one of those awesomeness uh, uh, things. I, I don't think any of us are going to know for certain until we get to heaven. I do know this. The book of Revelation also teaches, when you get to the end of it, that there was no more sea. There's no more sea as we know it. But we know there's a crystal sea. I know there's a river of life in heaven that proceeds from the throne. I, so there's water, and there's living water, and there's incredible water, and there's this crazy crystal sea and, and, and the comparisons that you have in the Bible of what heaven is like and what earth is like, listen, there's almost no comparison. Uh, again, the, tra the, the streets that are paved with gold that's so pure, it's like transparent glass. You're looking at it going, wow, that's a street. We pave our streets with asphalt. God paves them with this pure gold. So you start having this contrast. So when you have no more sea, I'd say it's no more sea as we know it. And the contrast of the sea on earth and this crystal sea in heaven, I look at that and I'm thinking, you know what that's like? From heaven's point of view, down here the, the sea is like some dirty, stagnant pool that needs to be pumped. Seriously? When Satan fell, where did he land? 
he fell on earth to earth. What happens? He tempts Eve. God curses him. Right? He didn't want to be on earth. He wanted to be in heaven. To him, earth, don't send me there. To him, earth is like a cesspool compared to heaven. So the beautiful shores of Maui, woo, yeah. I mean, that sounds really nice to me in this humanness. But man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be thinking, that dump? I mean, seriously. I, I, I look at the comparisons. So I look at the crystal sea, and I think, man, for me, this is pretty spectacular. But we have these four living creatures that are all around here too. So that leads us to another question. Just two more questions. Question number eight. What are these four living creatures? I, I say again, these four living creatures are pretty spectacular. They each have six wings. They're full of eyes. They each have a different kind of face. The face of a lion, the face of a calf, the face of a man, the face of an eagle. I mean, these are... What? I mean, we, we can't imagine these. The, we, we've never seen anything like it. People ask me, Pastor Tom, are there animals in heaven? They're... They're, these are angels. I'm going to show you that in a minute. But you better believe there's animals in heaven. If God created this earth, and He created the animals and man, right? Because that's what God did in the Garden of Eden. All these different animals, the flying animals, the walking animals, the swimming animals. He created these. And, and Noah, or no, it wasn't his name. What was his name in the garden? It was Adam. <laughs> better. Can we edit that out? <laughs> so Adam was the man in the garden, right? Oh, man. Four services is killing me. So, so Adam was the man in the garden. Noah's the guy on the boat, right? Okay, let's get this straight. So, so anyways, so when Adam is in the garden, he's naming the animals before he sinned, right? They're coming to him. Uh, there's many commentators that speculate this world is not contaminated by sin yet. Adam was able to communicate with the animals. You ever remember Dr. Doolittle? He used to talk with the animals. I mean, there are some pretty solid Bible scholars that think that is realistic. He was able to communicate. But that is cool. I think going to heaven, we'll be able to talk to animals. But I mean, now they're, they're, they're part, they've suffered the curse because of man's sin. And uh, I think of the different animals that are created, the giraffes and dolphins and Creatures under the sea that all of a sudden you see them on National Geographic. You're going, oh, I've never seen anything like that before. That is outrageous. And then we, we have here. These are creatures that are really hard for us to, to imagine what they are. But we see similar creatures to this in Ezekiel. But there's important differences. In both cases, these creatures are high-level angels. The, one in, the ones in Ezekiel are cherubim, but the ones here in Revelation are seraphim. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee. Ever heard that song before? Yeah, you just sang it like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> um, what, what are seraphim, right? Well, seraphim are angels that are protectors of God's throne, guardians of His holiness, and administrators of God's will. Well, here's the thing. Obviously, God, is, who is all-powerful, doesn't need protection, Right? But neither does God need our prayers. He knows what we have need of before we even ask. God invites us into the conversation in our prayers. He doesn't need them. He invites us into the conversation. 
He's determined to work through our prayers. God has invited these angels and created these angels. I want you to be part of what I'm doing up here. And he has them as protectors of his throne, guardians of righteousness and, and, and holiness. I, I think they're so cool. So how do you know, Pastor Tom, that these are seraphim, these creatures with these six wings and so forth? Because it doesn't say here in Revelation. However, check this out. In Isaiah chapter 6, look at this. Here's how we know. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah wrote, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, He covered His face. With two, He covered His feet. And with two, He flew. Look what He does. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. We have this picture of the seraphim. One starts saying, Holy, holy, holy. And his friend says, Holy, holy, holy. And the other one says, Holy, holy, holy. And here in Revelation chapter, chapter 4, I love this. These creatures, four living creatures, verse 8, each having six wings. We're full of eyes all around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's what's going on in Isaiah. That's what's going on here in Revelation chapter 4. It's safe to say that these are seraphim. That takes us to the very last question. What's going on here? It's pretty easy to answer, actually. Because <laughs> look, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I love that. I, I, I think of this, I'll close with these, these final thoughts here. That I remember when I, before I was saved, and this, this goes back many years, and uh, somewhere in the 1980s, and I used to attend for, for a short time, I was attending Harvest uh, Christian Fellowship in Riverside. And I would go up into the balcony, I'd drink a six-pack of beer before I go to church, and I'd go to church. I mean, that's what I did. That's just my life. And, uh, but I, I kept getting invited to the church, so every once in a while I would go. And I noticed that I was enjoying what I was hearing. Plus, I would feel better inside. Uh, Pastor Greg was teaching, and, but I would go up into the balcony. There was nobody up in the balcony in those days. And, and I, I, it was Wednesday nights, I remember, after drinking my beer and going to church, and the, the songs would be sing, people would be singing, and I would stand up there like this, my arms folded, probably looked like this, you know. And uh, and I remember Greg coming out one time, and he looks at me, and he says, he says, uh, when you get to heaven, you're going to be singing a lot, so you better get used to it right now. And I'm up there. I was just listen. It wasn't that I was mad about the music. I was just up there trying to figure out what's going on with all this stuff. I mean, I didn't know what the music was for. 
I mean, I was really interested in the Bible studies. I wanted to hear about the Lord, but I was just up there like this. And, and now, well, then the day came I got saved, and then I got it, and then it made sense. And then I started singing a little bit too loud, and some people told me to be quiet. And I'm quiet, don't want to offend everybody. But, but, but listen, when we get to heaven, we are going to be singing and praising the Lord a lot. And, some, and for some people, you know, the music is not their favorite part of the church. And, and to be singing in heaven, that can sound frightening, especially if you're near me. But, but man, the problem is here on earth, we often equate it to the style of music or something like that. It means we really don't like it. In heaven, you're going to love it. In heaven, you're going to go, oh, this is my favorite music. We're all going to be hearing the same thing. This is my favorite music. Can you imagine that ever happening? It's going to happen when, when, when we get there. And uh, it's going to be pretty spectacular. It's also interesting to note that when you look at the Bible, when it comes to worship, it almost in, always involves instruments. It almost always involves, are you ready for this? Loud instruments. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? And they were loud singers. And it was loud this. And there were drums. No! <laughs> but you start looking at the And there were stringed instruments. In heaven. Man, it is going to be awesome. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning my song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore Thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. You know that? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all Thy works shall praise Thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, the seraphim and cherubim, and all of us bowing down before Him, merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Amen?